now we're going to go down, downhill for the rest of the service, uh, so that's okay. But, uh, man, I'm so excited you guys are, are, are here today. We've been, we've been in the last three weeks, we've been uh, in our Christmas series uh, here at, at South Hills, and I always like to kind of recap where we've been and, and where we're going uh, here today. So two weeks ago, we talked about uh, that the spirit of Christmas, the, the season of Christmas, really is the season of hope. The story of Christmas is all about hope. That no matter how bad your situations or circumstances may be in life, no matter how much hope may seem to be absent in your life, that hope is always present because Jesus is always present. He's the God of the impossible. So no matter what those circumstances or situations look like, there's always hope for you. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about Jesus' dad here on earth, Joseph, and we talked about really having to trust God in all circumstances. That sometimes that God is, is working a plan, a purpose for your life, a plan to bless your life, a plan to give you a hope and a future, but it doesn't always look like that. In Joseph's life, uh, he, he's going to be the father of Jesus, and, and the angel comes down to Mary and tells her this amazing thing that's going to happen, but that angel didn't appear to Joseph, and he's there stuck saying, man, am I going to trust that this is really God? Am I going to trust God's plan in the face of adversity and this week, we're actually talking about his wife, and we're talking about Mary, and really the fact that she had to hang on to the truth so tight, stronger than ever before. Today, we're talking about truth. The reality is, is that, that God loves the truth. The truth is critical to know. The truth is so important to know, because if you don't know the truth, then you're susceptible to falling for the lies. Even the Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13, even if you don't attend church, if you've ever attended a wedding, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 because it's that, that verse about love where it says love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast. Verse 6 talks about the truth. It says love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Now, you've heard it said that, that God is love. So, so we can actually throw out the word love and put God in there that God does not delight in evil. But oh, how he rejoices with the truth. That's what we're talking about here today. Let us bow our heads and pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together here today. Father, I realize that apart from you, I can do nothing. I realize, Lord, that every idle word that I speak is a waste of everyone's time in here today. But, Father, if you'll anoint my words, if you'll speak through me, Lord God, then hearts can change. Lives can change, Lord. Father, I pray that as we talk about truth today, that you're going to reveal a truth to each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, specifically for those that are in here today that are going through tough times in life, that are going through times in life right now that just make no sense at all to them, that you're going to give them a special touch today that they're going to leave stronger than they came in. Father, we love you. We just pray that you would anoint this time, anoint this message. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So the truth today is harder and harder to figure out. Maybe it's harder to figure out today than any time in the history of our world. And I can prove this to you. If you go home tonight and you turn on, say, a, a news station, depending on what station you watch, is going to really determine the truth that you hear. Um, depending on what channel you're watching, you can hear the exact same story about the exact same incident, but walk away with two completely different versions. So how do you know what's true and what's not true if what you're watching is going to really determine where you're actually leaning on the truth? And 
This isn't a political statement, but back when Obama was running against John McCain, I was working in Northern California. My coworkers there, we had several of them that were hardcore Republican, and all they watched was Fox News. This, again, is not a political statement. Do not get mad at me. Do not hate me. I'm not a political guy. Back then, I was in my early 20s. I grew up knowing about CNN. I didn't even really know Fox had a news station at that time. I was young, so I watched CNN all the time. Well, for a month or so leading up to that election, I started to watch CNN because I was just interested in what was going to happen. So I'd hear all these reports about, oh, Obama's going to win by landslide. That's what I heard. Well, I showed up to work on the day of the election. Well, my coworkers who were watching Fox News came in there and said, oh, McCain is going to win by a landslide. And I looked at them like, are you joking around? Are you, wait, how would you even think that? Like, that's the complete opposite of everything they've been saying. Not on Fox News. And again, I'm not knocking either of these. But what they were hearing was the complete opposite of what I was hearing. So you can't figure out the truth because the truth is harder to come by because you don't know who's actually telling you the truth today. The truth is harder to figure out today because of social media. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on Facebook to find out that a celebrity that I love has died. Seriously, I remember the very day that I went on Facebook and found out that Screech Powers from Saved by the Bell has died. I was devastated. I was, my whole day was ruined. Only a few hours later, though, I found out he's still alive. He, that guy right there, somewhere in this world today, he's still alive. He's still doing whatever it is he does. But they had this report he had died. I saw The Rock died about a month ago on the internet. I was like... I know, I, I said, I, I know that they're putting out these fake stories. So even when I saw that, I was like, that's not true. But I still Googled it because I want to make sure it wasn't true. But why do they do that? I don't know. Like, what's the point of doing that saying someone died when you can just Google and find out that it's not true? I don't know. But they do it. Well, you have all these what they call fake news stories. How do you know what's true? It's harder to figure out the truth today because we exaggerate the truth. Again, social media. I, just the other day, I saw someone on social media take a picture of, of what they were eating. Does anyone in here take a picture of their food? Some of you guys could go back like a decade and see every meal you've ever eaten <laughs> for 10 years because you take a picture of it before you eat. Don't feel bad. I'm not making fun of you. But you know, some of you, that's what you do. So this person took a picture of a salad and said, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my life. The greatest thing. And I was like, really the greatest thing? You're at Applebee's. <laughs> like, I'm not knocking Applebee's. It's amazing what they can do with a few pieces of lettuce and salad dressing. It's unbelievable. But the greatest thing you've ever eaten, have you ever eaten at Sizzler? Have you had the cheese toast? You cannot tell me there's anything you're ever going to eat in life better than the cheese toast at Sizzler. That is the greatest thing, clearly. If I go to Sizzler, I don't even want the meal. I just order the meal to get the cheese toast. The meal doesn't even matter to me. Just keep bringing me the cheese toast. But, but again, greatest thing I've ever eaten. We exaggerate the truth. But as I said, you've got to know the truth today. The truth is so important to know because if you don't know it, then you're susceptible to falling for the lies. Mary has this amazing moment in the Bible, an amazing moment where she's been chosen by God to be the son, I mean, to be the mother of Jesus, to have the son be the Messiah. 
It's this amazing moment, and if you guys have been here for a few weeks, you know I don't like reading anything, but I want to read you this moment that takes place because I don't want to miss any words here. It comes to us in Luke 1, 28 through 38. This is Mary's moment. This is that, that Michael Jordan final game-winning shot moment. This is her peak moment. The, the, uh, everything in life is going to make sense right here, Luke 1, 28 through 38. It says, the angel went to her and said, her, of course, being Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The angel comes down there and starts talking to Mary. And it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Here's what's happening. An angel has just appeared inside Mary's room. Now, I don't know how many of you have had an angel appear in your room. But if an angel ever appears in my room, I'm telling you, right, they won't even get the first sentence out. The angel can come in there and say, Ryan, and I'm going to be out that door so fast, I'd be sprinting down that. They won't even be able to talk to me. She's freaking, she's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? An angel just appeared to me. Is this something that's bad or is this something that's good? That's why she's like, what kind of greeting is this? And then the angel gives her some reassurance. It says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will have no end. Now, here's the problem. They estimate that Mary was 14 years old. She's really still a kid herself. I know back then it was common that they'd get married at that age, but the reality is they were still kids themselves. So she's hearing this like any of us would be doing in this moment and saying, hey, that's awesome, but wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense because I'm 14 years old, I've never been married, I've never been with a man, and I'm pregnant? And I'm supposed to do what? So it doesn't make any sense to her. She asks the angel, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come onto you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then the angel goes on to say, hey, here's some proof. Even Elizabeth, your cousin, your relative, is going to have a child at her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive. She's old and she can't even have kids. And guess what? She's actually in her sixth month right now. And he says that because he says, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In the middle of this amazing moment, she hears that God has chosen her. Now, obviously, at her age, she must have had an amazing relationship with God. It wasn't like God was just picking a random name out of a hat and saying, oh, it looks like it's going to be Mary. He specifically chooses Mary. Out of everyone that's ever lived in the history of our world, Mary's the one that's chosen to be the mother of Jesus. It's this amazing moment. But here's the reality. The devil's always going to come in there and try to destroy the truth. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. It says when, when the devil is, is lying, he's speaking his native tongue. He's speaking, that's all he does. His job is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And although Mary has this amazing moment, she's a, about to face adversity in situations that would really call into question, am I really blessed? She knows the truth. She knows what the angel said. But so many of us can fall into those situations where it's like, I know what the Bible says about me. But look at my circumstances, look at my surroundings. Is that really true? Even when you know the truth, it's so easy to start to fall 
for an inauthentic truth. Let me tell you a story. When we were about 10 years old, uh, my friends and I were over at Disneyland. Now, this is back in the late 80s. This is a crazy 80s. When you could just let your kids run wild at Disneyland. I don't even know where my mom was. I couldn't even guess. My mom and dad weren't even together. So my mom was there with just us kids. I don't know where she was, but she was not with us at this moment. It's nighttime at Disneyland. We're, we're right around the, uh, the Haunted Mansion where uh, they have like, uh, it looks like New Orleans there. Um, and it, we're do- going down like this alleyway, complete darkness. And from out of nowhere, these 10-year-old kids, which is us, are walking by ourselves. And this grown man jumps out of a bush like this, gives us a finger gun says, you guys want to see a magic trick? Now, here's the reality. I don't even know that this guy works at Disneyland anymore. But we're 10 years old. So absolutely we want to go see a magic trick. Yes. The answer is yes. You don't even have to ask us. So we say yes. And before I know it, this guy brings us onto the third floor of one of those fake buildings at Disneyland. It's a small, dimly lit room. No windows. And we're inside this room. There's a table between him and us, and he pulls out a deck of cards. He says, hey, take a, take a card and sign your name on it, and, and one of my friends does that. He says, put it back in the deck. Puts it back in the deck, he starts shuffling it up, and he pulls out a card. He says, is this your card? Now, we're 10 years old. This is an adult, and we don't know what to say, because I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't our card. Like, what do you say? Like, you're supposed to be the magician. I don't want to embarrass you, but no, that's not our card. And he looks at it, he goes, really? Oh, wow, that's never happened before. So he puts that back, shuffles it up again. He pulls out another card. He goes, is this your card? Once again, we look at it. We're like, it's not even the right color. It has no, no signature. No, it is not our card. And I'm like, oh, I knew this guy didn't work here. He's just practicing. <laughs> In that moment, he tells us to turn around. He says, hey, turn around. There's a box behind you. We never noticed this box before. We turn around. There's a box about this big, completely covered in packing tape. I mean, every inch of this box is covered in packing tape. He says, pick, pick that box up and put it on the middle of the table. So we go behind. We pick up this box. We put it on the middle of the table. And then he pulls out a knife. Let me stop right there. I know this does not sound like it's going very well. Here we are, a bunch of 10-year-old kids in the third floor of a room that has no windows, and here's an adult who may not even work for Disneyland, clearly is not a magician, and now he has a giant knife. This sounds like one of those movies that is not going to end very well, but I'm alive, so bear with me. He takes that knife and he, he cuts open that box. And what do you think's inside of that box? You would think it would be a card, but no, it's a basketball. And we're like, oh, that's a completely different object. This is just getting worse. Why is there a basketball? What what are we doing here? We are wasting our time. But then he takes that knife, and he jams it into the basketball and cuts the basketball in half. Inside of that basketball is our card with our signature on it. It's the greatest magic trick that I've ever personally witnessed right there in front of me. The greatest trick I've ever seen. But here's the reality. We know the truth. We know that the card didn't go through the cardboard. We know that the card didn't go through the, the, the rubber in the basketball. We know that. But still, when you're in a small, dimly lit room on the third floor of a fake building inside of Disneyland, 
you start to think to yourself, maybe it really was real. Maybe it really did happen. We know it was sleight of hand, but all of a sudden you're falling for this trick. And before you know it, you're starting to believe in inauthentic truth. Even though you know what the real truth is. And that's what the devil's job is. He's always trying to, to steal your, your dream, to steal your joy, to steal your peace, to, to destroy your marriage, to kill everything in your life by telling you lies. He's like the worst infomercial pitch man there is in this world. He's on TV at midnight with a Ginsu knife cutting shoes in half, saying, you need to buy this knife. And you're like, I don't have any knives that can cut my shoes in half. I need to order this. And then you get it, and the second you touch it, it just bursts into pieces. And you're like, man, God lied to me. He's the worst infomercial pitch man in the world. He promises you the world, but delivers nothing. He's the father of lies. So the Bible says about him. One of the big lies he's, he's told people, and this is why a lot of people in your life won't go to church, because they see the devil as a giver, and they see God as a taker. That's why when you talk to people going to church, they say, oh, well, I'm just not ready for that. What they're saying is, I'm not ready to give up my fun, my, my life, because they see God is taking something from them, not giving something to them. They see the devil as, as the fun guy, like that's the party guy. I don't want to give that up yet. So they see the devil as, as the one that's giving, and God is the one that's taking, and it's the complete opposite. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. He's not coming to take anything from you. He's coming to give something to you. The devil, as long as you keep parting with him, man, that story never ends well. It never ends well. But he's always trying to trick you into falling for that, for that lie, saying, oh, no, just hang with me. It'll be good. One of the big lies he tells you is, it's just one. It's just one. It's, it's the it's just one theory. If you've never been to church before, you've heard the story of Adam and Eve. Story of Adam and Eve, I'm going to tell you, this is exactly where the just one theory comes in. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and they're naked. Forgive the rated R comment there, I don't mean to put your mind there, but they don't need clothes, they don't need anything. They're in perfection, they're in paradise. God comes down and tells Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, you see everything, you, everything here? Everything you see is yours. In fact, you can eat from any of the trees in this garden. You can eat from all of them, any of them that you want. But just don't eat from this one. Don't eat from this one tree because if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. He says, just don't eat from that one. But everything else is yours. Now the serpent comes in, which represents the devil, and the serpent's going to try to now distort the truth. This is what happens in our life. And we start to see it in the first instance in the Bible with Adam and Eve. The serpent comes in and says, Hey, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? He's talking to Eve. And Eve's like, no, he didn't say that. I'm I don't know if this is how Eve talks, but in my mind, this is Eve's voice that I hear. She's like, no, serpent, he didn't say that. He said we can eat from all of the trees. We just can't eat from this one in the middle or even touch it or we'll die. But now here's the thing, you can start to see the truth is already getting distorted in Eve's mind because God never said anything about touching it. He said, just don't eat from it. She now has added, don't touch it or you'll die. Now the serpent says, you're not gonna die. Are you kidding? It's a piece of fruit. You're not gonna die? Man, God loves you. He's not gonna kill you, Eve. Just, just eat that fruit. Here, 
matter of fact, here's why he doesn't want you to eat it. I'm going to tell you right now, Eve. He doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows if you eat this, then your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be just like God. You're going to have all his wisdom. You're going to have all his power. And he just wants to be selfish and he doesn't want you to have that. That's why he's telling you not to have it. You'd be awesome if you were able to eat that fruit. Just have that fruit, Eve. He's not going to care. He loves you. He made you. Why? He's not going to kill you. In fact, here's the, here's the thing. Eve, you don't even have to eat the fruit. Just take one bite. It's just one. Just take one bite. It's just one. It's just one little bite. Just one. You take one bite. I won't say any more. Just one. It's just one. It's just one. And that's what the devil tells us in our life, that it's just one. But we know the story of Adam and Eve. Just one was all it took. In that moment, that's when sin enters our world. And from that moment until the time that Jesus dies on the cross, everything is leading up to redemption because of that just one. Some of you know we come from a place called the Dream Center. Dream Center houses in Phoenix over 300 people every single day. In L.A., we house over 1,000 people. Joyce Myers has her own Dream Center in St. Louis. There's over 270 of them worldwide right now, filled with people who would do anything to give back the it's just one. It's just one. Just one can ruin everything in your life. It's just one night out of with drinking with your friends. It's not a big deal. It's just one. It's just one hit of drugs. Man, you can't even afford to buy drugs tomorrow, so it's not going to happen two days in a row. It's just one. It's just one flirtatious text. It's just one picture. It's just one video. It's just one time not honoring God. It's just one. But like I said, just one is all it takes. Just one is all it takes for someone to go down that, that path that they never intended to go down. Marriages have been destroyed because of the, it's just one. Lives have been destroyed and, and, and now people are fighting to rebuild them because of the, it's just one. Oh yeah, it's insignificant on the surface. But just one is all it takes. That's where Mary's at. So Mary has this amazing moment. She's been told you are going to be the mother of Jesus. She hears that truth. But now the devil's going to come in and try to distort that truth because she's been told she's blessed, but everything around her is going to tell her differently. Can I tell you that when you read the Bible and you hear God's word, his word never fails. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God said it, he meant it. He doesn't change his mind. There's no gray area with God. It's black or white. It's yes or no. It, it never changes. It's the same from 2,000 years ago as it is today. It never changes. He doesn't adjust with culture and fads. It's the same all the time. So God's truth in your life never changes regardless of the circumstances around you. But if you're married and you've been chosen to be the Messiah's mom, can you imagine what her mind is doing? Well, I have this great blessing, but I'm 14 years old. I don't know how to, how to teach someone to be a Messiah. How in the world am I going to raise this kid? This is, this is a lot of pressure on me, God. I don't feel very blessed in this moment. But she was. Then she goes to, she gets pregnant and she's walking around with Joseph. Now she knows that the angel told her, hey, the, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the Messiah. God is going to have this son with you. But guess what? No one else knows that. So when she's walking around and people are seeing that she's pregnant and she's still not married, now there's a lot of shame on her. Tell you what, I don't feel very blessed in that moment. I don't feel chosen. 
What about when she's going to go have Jesus? She's going and thinking, I'm having the Messiah. Surely I'm going to have this amazing birth. I mean, it'll be in the palace. It'll be in this nice, nice room. And she's going from hotel to hotel, hotel. She's going to every single one of these. And she's being told, nope, no room. Can't do it. Says she had the baby in a manger. Whether it was a, a barn or a cave, who cares? Doesn't matter. It was in the mud. It was in the dirt. It was in a feeding trough. Really? I don't feel very blessed in this moment. And then she has Jesus. And then she hears that Herod, the king of the Jews, is trying to kill Jesus, but he doesn't know who Jesus is, so he's just killing all of the babies. And now they got to run away and escape to Egypt. Man, I don't feel very blessed in this moment. And then after that, once she gets back, she sees Jesus become popular and start, and start preaching to thousands and thousands of people at a time, knowing that people are trying to kill him and He's living a very public life. If you're a parent, I mean, imagine that. Knowing that someone's out to get your, your child and they're living their life out in the open. You don't feel very blessed. And then the moment where Jesus is arrested, tortured and nailed to a cross and for three days dies. Man, I don't feel very blessed. In the middle of all of this, she has this amazing opportunity, this amazing blessing, this amazing time where she's chosen to be this amazing person that's going to give birth to the Messiah. But every circumstance would tell her, I'm not blessed. God must have surely changed his mind. God cannot be for me if all these things are happening in my life. But all of it would have been a lie because she's been chosen by God. She's been blessed by God. In fact, the Bible even records in Luke 2.19, it says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Can I tell you what the Greek meaning of kept means? It means that she never let go of it. She hung on to it. In the middle of all of her circumstances, even though everything would tell her differently than what that angel told her that night, she just kept hanging on to it. With everything she had, she hung on to the truth. Because she was chosen, she was blessed, and so are you. Man, I know those situations and circumstances that go on in our life, they, they might be terrible, completely unfair. But you're blessed, and you're chosen. Man, our time on earth is over in a blink of an eye. It's all we know. So when stuff happens here on earth, trust me, like all of you, I don't feel very good about it. But eternity in heaven goes on forever. If you live for 100 years here on earth, that's a long time. But let's say you do. But eternity doesn't have an end. So earth ends, say, at 100 years of life. Well, when you compare 100 years of life to, say, a trillion years or 100 trillion years, which is not eternity, it has no end, all of a sudden this 100 years isn't really as significant as it may seem in this moment of time in our lives. So you may not feel blessed in this life, but Jesus says, oh, you're blessed because you're going to live with me for eternity in paradise where every day is the best day of your life. You're blessed. You're chosen. Even when things don't look that way around you. I want to close with this final, final quick story for you. The truth, as I said, you got to know. you got to know the truth. you got to hang on to the truth of everything you got. Because life is always going to throw you a curveball. Stuff's going to come out of nowhere. It's going to bring you down to your knees. And you got to hang on to God's truth and what he told you. you got to believe that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But some of you sitting in here today, I truly believe that you feel like you're second class. I feel like some of you in here today feel like second class citizens, to be honest. 
Maybe because you feel like, man, I've messed up so much in my life. I have so much sin. I've, I've tried to defeat uh, alcohol or drugs, or I, I've tried to be committed in my marriage. I've tried really hard, and I keep messing up. And you're sin here today, and you feel like you're a second-class citizen. Man, you're beating yourself up. God's forgiven you, but you haven't. You're beating yourself up. Or maybe you feel like you're a second-class citizen in here today because you're just not really well-off financially. And it's like, man, all my friends are able to get all these things, and here I am, I scratch a nickels together just to, just to keep our lights on. You feel second-class because you don't feel like you're, you're as well-off as those other people. Or maybe you feel second class in here today because your, your job isn't very good or you don't even have a job to begin with. And all these other people seem to have these great jobs, but you're sitting in here today and you feel second class. Or maybe you feel second class in here today because of your race. Because people are telling you, you don't belong here, you're second class, you're, you're not like us. And it's starting to sink in. Or maybe you feel second class because of your age in here. And you feel like, man, my best days are behind me. Or you listen to that crazy rumor that I heard here when I first started out, the word church geared towards 18 to 30-something years old or whatever it was, which meant I couldn't even attend my own church, which is crazy. Man, Jesus did not come to reach 18 to 35-year-olds or whatever that number is. He came to reach the lost, and so have we. I don't care if you're two years old or 200, this church is for you. But maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you feel like, man... I, I know that the best is behind me. Maybe you feel second class in here today because you're divorced. And you've been told, well, you're not going to go to heaven. You've, you've listened to that lie, and it's like, well, you're divorced. Or maybe you feel second class because you're single. And you're like, what's wrong with me, God? Man, I've been, I've been faithful. I've been attending church. I've been, I, every new guy that comes in here, I've been smiling. I don't know why I'm saying guy. It could be a girl, too. You'd be a guy in here. And you feel, but you know what I'm saying? Man, I've been wearing my nice outfit every single Sunday, and I'm still single. Why? But you feel second class. You don't feel blessed. You don't feel chosen. You feel probably a lot like Mary did in that moment. But let me tell you, I know a little bit about what it feels to be second class. See, I, my last name's McFadden, which means we're Irish. Shock to some of you, but... We're Irish. In the 1800s in, in Ireland, there was something called the potato famine. Now, in Ireland, apparently all we eat are potatoes, and when potatoes don't grow, we got to run. We got to get out. Potatoes were all messed up, no one, and people are dying of starvation. So over in Ireland, what we did, what my ancestors did, was they got on these ships to come to the United States, to come to America. Even back then, it was known as the land of opportunity, the land where dreams come true, the land of possibilities. It was so exciting that even though they were leaving everything that they knew, they were leaving their homeland, they were leaving, leaving their comfort zone, they got on these ships full of excitement. Oh, wow. When we get to the United States, when we get to America, what are we going to do? What are we going to see? What, what amazing things are going to be happening to us? Because this is the, the land where all these dreams can come true. And they got on these ships. And as they started to come closer to the shore and America became in their eyesight from, from the ship, they would just fill up with excitement. Excitement would get to a boil. Oh, man, here we are. Oh, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see what our life is going to be like. It's going to be great. And as they would land it, 
Ellis Island. They'd come down the ramps on, on the boats, and crowds of people would be around those ramps, but they weren't there to welcome them. See, as the Irish would walk down these ramps, the crowds around there would throw potatoes at them. And when they ran out of potatoes, they threw rocks. I'm talking about men, women, and little kids. Little kids that didn't even understand what was happening. And I'm not talking about hitting them in the legs. I'm talking about hitting them in the face as they're walking down these ramps. And they were spat at. And they were told, go back to your country. You don't belong here. You're second class. You're not one of us. In fact, even businesses, they have a commercial now where they actually show a, a sign like this, but this was true. Businesses would even have signs posted on the wall, Irish need not apply. I'm not pretending to say that we're the most persecuted people. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I know a little bit what it feels like to be second class. And maybe you're sitting in here and you feel that same way. But let me tell you the, the secret, you're not. In fact, John 3.16 tells you exactly what you are. John 3.16, if you don't even know the Bible, you know John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Can I tell you, I've heard that so many times. I didn't really understand it until a few years ago. Because when I heard world, you know what I pictured? I pictured the world. I pictured, for God so loved the world, like the grass, the trees, the mountains, the birds, the bees. He loved all of that that he gave his only son. But the reality is this, that Jesus did not come and die for the trees. He didn't come to die for the birds or the grass or any of those things. He died for you, and he died for me. So really that verse, if we want to be more accurate, should say that for God so loved you, and he so loved me, that he gave his only son. Just for you. That Jesus so loved you, and he so loved me, that he willingly laid down his life for you, not even for a guarantee, but just for a chance just for an opportunity that one day, somehow, some way, you would accept Jesus as your Savior and he'd be able to hang out with you for eternity. Man, that doesn't sound like a second-class citizen to me. That sounds like someone's greatest treasure, that they gave up everything in life just to be with you, just for a chance to be with you. And that's the truth I want you to walk away with here today. You're not second-class. You are blessed. You are chosen. God does have a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's not a plan to harm you. It's a plan to give you a hope and a future. The truth is, is that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think in your life if you'll let him. The truth is he loves you so much he gave up everything for you. And he's not mad at you here today. He loves you as much uh, today as he did then. It wasn't a sliver in time where humanity was perfect. They said, you're willing to die for. No, he loves you just as much now as when those nails were going into his hands and feet. He loves you so much, he gave up everything for you. The truth is, you're his greatest treasure. The truth is, he said, I have come into this world so that you'll know the truth. And I pray today that the truth will set you free. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close down service here?